You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news and a warning from transit police who, who are warning anyone who uses the system that they need some help finding a suspect in two violent robberies where the victims were choked unconscious. Nadia Stewart is live outside Stadium Chinatown SkyTrain Station where the suspect was recorded on surveillance camera. Pretty clear pictures too, Nadia. Yeah, Chris, both incidents happened in August and in both cases, the suspect strikes up a conversation with the victim before choking them until they black out. That incident caught on camera here at the stadium SkyTrain station happened on August the 20th, just before midnight. A 26-year-old man was the victim. He was choked, rendered unconscious, and police say the suspect stole the victim's wallet. His credit card was later used to make a $400 purchase from a convenience store. In the first incident on August the 20th, a 45-year-old man was on a bus heading to the Marine Drive Canada Line station just after midnight when he was attacked after refusing to give the suspect a cigarette. Police say both men could have lost their lives as a result of this senseless crime. The real concerning part here is the level of violence that this suspect is willing to use. Now, in both these circumstances, the individuals were able to uh, come out of this with minimal injuries. This could have gone severely wrong. And the, that's really why we're, we're asking the public, we need to identify this person and we need to make sure that this isn't happening again. As you mentioned, Chris, we got a pretty clear look at the suspect. So if you see the man in that photo, transit police are asking you to give them a call. Their number is 604-516-7419. Back to you, Chris. All right, thanks, Nadia. Let's hope someone sees something. Now to a dramatic police takedown in Vancouver's West End. The 23-year-old man arrested is a suspect in the murder of another man earlier this week. VPD ended up using a beanbag gun to get him under control. He's now facing charges of assaulting an officer and attempt to injure a service dog. As Aaron MacArthur shows us, it's all on video. And a warning, some of the images may be disturbing. And I heard, I think, four beanbag shots and I heard a taser. Something Mike Culver won't soon forget. Witness to an overwhelming police response to a man standing on the sidewalk on Pendrel at Thurlow. There's like six or seven of them that are holding him and dragging him out into the middle of the road. And at that point, it's like, okay, this looks a little excessive. At, at one point, it looked like there was more than 20 cops that were surrounding him. What Culver didn't know was why the man was being arrested. According to VPD, the 23-year-old is the prime suspect in a homicide Tuesday night at the same address. Police were investigating when the suspect came home. During the apprehension, he did fight with police officers by taking out a knife and fighting with them. During this altercation, a police dog canine unit was deployed as well as a beanbag shotgun. This male was arrested for assault police officer with a weapon assault police service dog with a weapon, and did have outstanding warrants under the Mental Health Act. 29-year-old Kyle Vincent Gabriel was discovered on this block Tuesday night with significant injuries. He died at hospital Wednesday morning. The suspect and the victim knew each other. Both lived at Watson House, 
which provides supportive housing for young people living with mental illness. This is an ongoing investigation and homicide detectives are gathering all applicable evidence. No charges in regards to the homicide have been laid at this time, but may be laid in the future. While people on scene thought the police response might have been heavy-handed, VPD maintained use of force guidelines were followed. The man arrested was taken to hospital for assessment. He was discharged and taken into custody. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Saanich police are searching for a suspect in an unprovoked assault there. A 24-year-old woman was walking along Gordon Point Road towards the beach when an unknown man assaulted her, leaving her with swelling and bruising to her face and body. She fought off her attacker, ran home and called police. The suspect is described as tall with a medium build. He was wearing a black hoodie and blue jeans and the victim described him as looking homeless. We are learning more tonight about a man gunned down outside an Alder Grove McDonald's. He's 33-year-old Justin Lee Havisher, a high-profile Red Scorpion gang member whose brother Cody is behind bars for the Surrey Six murders. Jill Bennett with the latest developments and growing concerns about public safety. The victim of Tuesday's brazen shooting outside this Aldergrove McDonald's is no stranger to law enforcement. Justin Havisher is the brother of Cody Havisher, who was convicted in the Surrey Six murders. Justin Havisher also spent time in jail. He was sentenced to 20 months in prison for obstructing justice in the case. It's almost like we're just watching and waiting for something disastrous to happen again. Eileen Mohan's son was one of two innocent people killed in the Surrey Six murders. She's followed all of the legal proceedings to date, including Justin Havisher's, and wasn't surprised to learn he died in a targeted shooting. They don't give a damn about who they kill, but the law doesn't give a damn about them either. Otherwise, somebody would have done something to change it so that these type of criminals do not walk in our streets. The Aldergrove shooting follows another public hit on a high-profile gang member in South Surrey August 2nd. A Hells Angel was shot and killed outside a Starbucks. Investigators say it's pure luck no innocent bystanders were hurt or worse. BC Solicitor General says the province is working to crack down on gangs. No sympathy for these, uh, for these individuals whatsoever. Uh, and I hope they go behind bars for a very long time. Uh, that's one of the reasons, for example, why we brought forward that legislation uh, to create a Made in BC witness security, witness protection program. Shortly after Justin Havisher was killed, a burned-out SUV was found in Abbotsford, about 11 kilometres away. IHIT investigators are still asking for witnesses or anyone who might have dash cam video connected to the crime to contact them immediately. Jill Bennett, Global News. New developments tonight in the criminal case involving the mayor of Port Moody. Rob Vagramov's legal counsel looking to strike a deal in his sexual assault case that would see it settled outside of court. So what exactly does that mean and what happens if that charge against Vagramov is stayed? Sarah McDonald explains. He's back in office, though still under the cloud of a criminal charge of sex assault. I am absolutely disgusted that you would come back. Port Moody's mayor announcing an abrupt end to his voluntary leave of absence on Monday, though not providing much clarity. I'm not able to comment on anything that's specifically related to the legal case. Though on Thursday, Rob Vagramov's legal counsel did at a brief court appearance for his client. Alternative measures is an extrajudicial dispute resolution process. To the extent that he could. 
It's an extrajudicial, outside-of-court, resolution process. Which means Vagramov's defense is working towards reaching a deal with Crown Counsel on the summary charge against him outside of court under the Alternative Measures Program, for which sexual assault cases rarely qualify. And it's usually used in uh, more you know, low-level offenses, such as uh, shoplifting. To see it being applied in the context of sexual assault is a surprise. In part because according to legal experts, the program often requires the accused take certain measures. It is a typical and usual requirement of the alternative measures program that the participant does assume responsibility for the offending behavior, at least in part. Along with completing certain measures, such as issuing a formal apology, community service or undergoing counselling. Once the person has properly completed those requirements, then the Crown will stay the charges in court. Which means that charge against Vagramov, dating back to when he was a city councillor in 2015, could ultimately be dropped altogether. If, the, if alternative measures are successful, I expect that the charge will ultimately be stayed. Something we will likely know by mid-November, when Vagramov is next scheduled in court. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A major bump to the YVR airport improvement fee has surprised many who remember the promise when it was introduced in 1993 that it would be temporary. Starting January 1st, the fee will rise for those flying outside B.C. to $25, a 25% jump. Those flying within B.C. and the Yukon will continue to pay just $5. The president and CEO of YVR says the increase is necessary to expand the airport as the number of passengers grows every year. I realize that that's probably not going to be too popular, but we looked very carefully at our debt load, at our asset capital plans, at our interest coverage ratio, at uh, future possibilities for passenger growth, and therefore non-aeronautical revenue and aeronautical revenue. And we realized it's time. Because remember, we're not thinking short-term, we're thinking long-term. B.C.'s speculation and vacancy tax brought in $58 million in 2018, and that's expected to more than double for 2019 as the rate increases for foreign owners. The province releasing these numbers today as well as data on where all those properties are and who's paying the lion's share of the tax. Here's Ted Chernecki. It's been a year and a half since B.C. speculation and vacancy tax has been in place, and to hear the NDP finance minister today, it's been a resounding success. Based on the data, first-year declarations, the tax is working as we intended. Collected so far, about $115 million from some 12,000 homeowners. 20% of them from B.C., but the vast majority, 65%, are either foreign owners or satellite families, where the principal breadwinner makes most of the family's money overseas. When it comes to, if you will, a global type of purchaser, is that this is a set of club fees and that you know and that we have one of the great you know great wonderful clubs in the world in terms to live in and that as such we need to keep we need to we need to maintain it the finance minister went so far as to take credit for bc's current falling real estate prices but when asked why the rental vacancy rate hasn't improved one of the tax's key objectives she acknowledged in some cases the tax is actually taking housing out of the marketplace where owners level their property rather than pay the tax. We will continue to review the tax. We are always looking for improvements in taxes uh, and so we will be looking at specific cases. 
Today's data did reveal where most of the vacant homes are. Those properties where foreign owners could not get an exemption. Vancouver tops the list with 1,700 empty homes. Richmond a close second, followed by Burnaby and Surrey. Today, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau promised a federal vacancy and speculation tax. Ted Chernocky, Global News. Airbnb releasing some interesting new numbers on summer bookings, and this is for Vancouver specifically. There were 224,000 guest bookings between May 24th and September 2nd. Typical stay, about three nights. Visitors come from 150 different countries, including the U.S., U.K., Germany, and Australia. Host earnings topped $62 million Canadian, with the average booking around $169. Today is day two of the federal election campaign, if you're counting, and the first full day of campaigning. Keith Baldry tells us where the leaders were today and how that gives away at least part of their strategy. Where the leaders traveled during a campaign can provide clues about where they think their party can win seats. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was in the NDP-held riding of Esquimalt this morning, talking affordable housing in a seat his party thinks it can take in October. That's why earlier this year, we launched the first new first-time homebuyers incentive, which provides Canadians with up to 10% off the purchase price of their first home. As for NDP leader Jugmeet Singh, he was in Brampton, Ontario, near where he served as an Ontario provincial MPP, and near writings he thinks the NDP can win. The topic today, health care and long wait times, symbolized by the long lineup of people behind him. This is a crisis here in Brampton, but it's a reality for far too many people. We will invest more in healthcare to turn things around. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer was in North York, Ontario, in the so-called 905 horseshoe of ridings around Toronto. He focused on the issue of affordability today, promising to make maternity benefits tax-free. This measure is about putting money back in the pockets of new moms and dads. But the Conservative leader also found himself answering questions about abortion services after video of his local candidate attending and speaking at an anti-abortion rally surfaced. Nothing on this issue has changed for our party. Uh, we have always made it very clear that uh, we will not support reopening uh, the issue. Green Party leader Elizabeth May had no public appearances today in order to prepare for tonight's debate, a debate that Justin Trudeau has chosen to skip. Well, Keith joins us now with another snapshot of what the polls are telling us in terms of mm -hmm. seat projections. Keith, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, take all this with a grain of salt, but uh, the Laurier, Laurier uh, Institute uh, in 2015 is uh, also performed for us a service of taking a bunch of polls, taking a look at them, and sort of rolling the numbers on an aggregate fashion and trying to project how that would play out in terms of a seat count. So here's the latest seat count from Barry Kay, who runs the, uh, the Institute. Uh, basically, the, you need 170 for a majority. The Liberals have improved since the last time we did this. They're at 161. The Conservatives have dropped a bit, as has the NDP. Uh, the block is rising a bit in Quebec at 13. The Greens are still at 6, most of those on Vancouver Island. The People's Party at 1. And Independent, which we presume is Jody Wilson-Raybould, projected to win that seat. So again, not a majority yet. The Liberals seem to be a little on the rise here, and the Conservatives be, seem to be dropping just a little bit. So we're going to update people from time to time through the campaign with Laurier Institute on seat projection, taking again all the polls, in this case nine of them, to try to come up uh, with a scenario of what's playing out there across the country. Interesting stuff. Okay, thanks very much, Keith Baldry in Victoria Forest. One last election note, a mishap for Liberal leader Justin Trudeau on the first day of the campaign. Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson tweeted out this video 
after the Liberal Party's media bus struck their campaign plane in Victoria last night. The bus apparently drove under and scraped the wing of the plane. That one was taken out of service, and the Liberal campaign got off the ground again this morning. No major injuries. Right now, though, life is busy, and most people would agree sometimes the only option is to grab something to eat while you're driving. But there's a limit to what's acceptable before it crosses over into distracted driving. And as Jennifer Palma reports, a B.C. judge has sided with police in one case that they say clearly broke the rules. It doesn't take much to spot a distracted driver. No matter how many times you hear the message, somebody is doing something they shouldn't be behind the wheel. They were reading a book. They were. They were actually reading a book when they were driving. I saw this one guy playing on his drumsticks on the wheel one time, so... I saw some painting their nails. It's like they had their hand on the, on the dash, so kind of painting while they're driving. Last November, in Kelowna, police observed a driver eating a bowl of food with chopsticks while behind the wheel. Ironically, a situation they had tried to address the year prior with a tweet to discourage driving without due care. Make sure that you, you know, limit your eating to when you're at a red light, for example, when you don't have to have as much attention paid to something that requires the use of your steering wheel. Uh, and also always make sure that you have at least one hand on the wheel all the way at all times. The officer said that he observed the driver holding a bowl of spinach between the thumb and index finger and having chopsticks in the right hand while eating. However, the driver says she actually had her head on the steering wheel and that she was just only going about 10 kilometers over the speed limit. The law doesn't determine whether or not you're guilty of the speeding offense based on what's likely. If you're going even a kilometer an hour over the limit, you are violating that law and you can be justifiably ticketed even though it really isn't fair. The driver was found guilty of driving without due care and attention and has until the end of October to pay a fine, which is typically $368. They will also get six driver penalty points and their insurance will rise. So save meals for the lunch counter. Jennifer Palma, Global News. After a series of recent mill closures, another major blow tonight to the B.C. forest industry. Tolco Industries announced it's shutting down its Kelowna mill immediately and indefinitely, putting more than 200 people out of work. The company blames low lumber prices and high costs. The closure adding to a brutal year for the forestry sector, with shutdowns and production cuts affecting tens of thousands of workers and nearly two dozen communities. A global exclusive now and something to think about if your car insurance premiums are going up under the new ICBC rates. As part of the changeover, the insurance corporation is shelling out millions of dollars more to its brokers. John Waugh shows us why. Whether it's a brand new policy or a basic renewal of your auto insurance, ICBC's rate structure has undergone a massive overhaul. Brokers are our frontline staff who are doing their best to explain the changes. Some insurance brokers have put extra information on their websites. Others have extended hours and brought in more staff. But to be clear, BC drivers are paying for that service. When we introduce new change, uh, some extra work may be involved and that's what our brokers are seeing. Compensation for that extra work not coming out of increased rates or commission. Instead, Global News has learned ICBC provided the broker industry with a provincial one-time $6 million transition payment 
payable July 15, 2019. This amount on top of the training already provided by the public insurer. The retraining's already been paid for. This is just extra over and above. They don't need to hand this money out. Now brokers charge a flat commission rate for selling ICBC basic insurance and anywhere between 4 and 19% for its optional policies. In fact, in 2017-2018, ICBC paid $434 million in commission to BC brokers. No one from the Insurance Brokers Association of BC would comment, but at the beginning of the year, having to deal with complex quotes, not basic renewals, was justification for the high commission rates. The easy ones, uh, that's that's a pretty good price to, to receive. But the bottom line is there's a lot of complexity that brokers deal with. Not hard to imagine where some drivers thought an extra $6 million should go. All the benefits should be back to the customer. Reducing rates would be a good good thing to do with that money. The broker top-up, perhaps tough to swallow, considering some Roadstar drivers renewing under the new rates are not paying less. My rates have gone up 10%. Fueling frustration that putting out the ICBC dumpster fire seems to mean drivers forking out more. John Hua, Global News. Opponents of Victoria's horse-drawn carriages aren't backing off from their fight. More than 40,000 people have added their names to a petition calling for a ban. The Victoria Horse Alliance delivered the petition to Victoria's mayor and council today. The BCSPCA has already put forward a letter recommending a citywide prohibition on horse-drawn carriages and trolleys. We've really struggled to get the uh, city to take action on this issue. They've had recommendations in their hands for over a year from the SPCA calling for a ban of the horse carriages in Victoria uh, on city streets. However, the city has failed to take any action on this issue and it's been extremely frustrating. Um, they seem to be more interested in appeasing industry than the authority on animal welfare in this province. A shocking and violent confrontation on the streets of Kingston, Ontario today and a warning some of these images are disturbing. Cell phone video shows a man armed with a knife charging at police after allegedly stabbing two other people. An officer fires a shot at the man but that doesn't stop him. After charging the officer again, he eventually staggers back into a bush. We won't show you what happened next, but the man then took his own life. It was the end of a frightening incident that left one other person dead along with the suspect. Paramedics reportedly transported multiple patients to hospital, but exactly how many and what condition they're in isn't known at this point. The Edmonton woman who saved two little girls from a house of horrors is speaking out tonight about her shocking discovery. Back in December of 2017, Justice Taylor was hired to babysit five children. She was told by their mothers all five were asleep upstairs. But she found two that had been living a nightmare. And a warning, again, some of the details are disturbing. It started as a regular babysitting job, but what happened that night still haunts her. Within seconds of the two moms leaving, Justice Taylor heard knocking at a basement door barricaded by a dresser. The older girl, she remembered me from last time I had babysat and called out to me and said, Justice, is that you? Like, are my parents gone? And I was like, yeah, it's me. She's like, can you let us up? Like, we're hungry. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. I pushed the dresser out of the way. I opened the door and I was shocked to what I had seen. Two little girls, three and six, were trapped in the unfinished basement. 
It reeked of urine. The older daughter had a big bruise on her neck that looked like she was hit with something, and she had dried blood on her lips. Her hair was a mess. She was in ragged, very loose-fitting pajamas. Like, uh, the younger daughter, her teeth from before I had seen her, seemed that they had rotted and were broken. Um, at that time, I didn't see the injuries that were on her back and her behind. She fed the girls and then took videos of their injuries and texted the moms. Taylor didn't believe their explanation. It turns out the girls had been repeatedly beaten with a belt and one had been confined inside a cardboard box. The older daughter had cried to me. I cried with her, it was very emotional. I was sitting like this and she was laying across me and I was holding her and rubbing her head. And she was telling me, when you leave, can you lie to my mom and say we're going to go for a walk and you keep me at your house forever? Like, I love you. I don't want you to leave me. And I told her, like, I'm going to leave, but I promise you'll be safe once I leave. Someone is going to come and get you. She's like, you promise? I'm like, I promise. Authorities rescued the children minutes after getting Taylor's 911 call. She hasn't seen the girls since, but prays for them to this day. I want them to know that I'm glad that they're okay, I'm glad that they're safe, they're strong and beautiful, and they're going to grow up to be great, great women. Sarah Ryan, Global News. The other three children who belonged to one of the women showed no signs of abuse. The mothers, both in their mid-twenties, have pleaded guilty to aggravated assault and unlawful confinement. A sentencing date hasn't been set. Another major storm is brewing in the Bahamas, which makes the work of search and rescue teams all the more pressing. Burnaby firefighters are there helping and have now located all three Canadians who were reported missing in the area hardest hit by Hurricane Dorian. Dale Hill was the first to be found safe at his home on Greater Abaco Island. Crews then located Kerry Lowe and the third missing Canadian, as yet unnamed. All three were traumatized but are otherwise in good condition. A tantalizing first for space exploration. Two separate teams of scientists, including a Canadian-led group, say they found water on a planet outside our solar system. Not only that, they say the planet has temperatures that are suitable for life. It's 110 light years away in the Leo constellation, unreachable for us. But they say the so-called super-Earth is just the right distance from its star to conceivably sustain life. One team believes it could actually be raining there, but they stress none of this necessarily means that the planet is suitable for humans. And this particular planet is taking all the boxes. It doesn't mean that it's good or habitable for us human beings, because, for instance, we have found also that there's still a lot of hydrogen in the atmosphere, and hydrogen is not necessarily something that we will be comfortable with as human beings. The planet is several times the size of Earth, with eight times the mass, and while it is thought to be rocky, no one knows if water is flowing on the surface. Much more exploration to be done. In health matters, officials on Vancouver Island are warning the public to be careful after a rabid bat was found at a Saanich school. The bat was found at Keating Elementary and tested positive for the rabies virus. Because it was found after school hours in an area that's currently out of bounds, officials don't believe any children had contact with the bat. They say overall the risk of contracting rabies from bats is extremely low. 
you have to have picked up a bat, touched a bat, had a bat bite you. The biggest issue is just reminding people that we need to avoid bat contact. And it's really not that difficult to do in most situations. So students aren't believed to be in danger, but several other people did come into contact with the bat and they've been given the vaccine that prevents rabies just in case. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Some really cool video tonight of crews from the Coast Guard and the Department of Fisheries and Oceans teaming up to rescue a baby humpback whale entangled in fishing gear. The animal was spotted swimming with its mother in Barkley Sound on the west coast of Vancouver Island. It took crews six hours to cut it free, with mom looking on the entire time. They eventually did cut all the ropes, though, and the calf looked to be in very good shape when they were done. So well done to the crews. And after the weather forecast, a publicity shot from Breaking Bad? Mm, why this mugshot is burning up the internet. Brian Cranston would have something to say about it, wouldn't he? Okay, let's check in with Christy right now and look at the weather. It's been raining pretty hard up here in Burnaby. <laughs> it sure has. It didn't uh, really pick up until the latter part of the afternoon for our region. And this is looking towards the west, Chris. In my opinion, this looks a little bit bright towards the west <laughs> compared to what we were seeing earlier today. And I'll show you why. Really, the hardest hit areas earlier today were the Sunshine Coast and Vancouver Island. Now it's further east of us. So really heavy across the uh, Fraser Valley regions. In fact, south of the border, a lightning strike. And this blue here indicates hail. So for those of you in the Fraser Valley, uh, you are going to see waves of heavy rain in times. You could see hail in there and some some lightning strikes. So very intense moving into those areas. And you'll see that it is into East Metro Vancouver as well. So those are the areas we're watching for the next few hours. Whereas the further west you go, and that's why I was saying it looks a little bit brighter towards the west, we're getting to the back end of that system. We still do have showers in behind it and another wave to contend with. But this is our Friday morning, everyone. So cloud and still showers. But then this next wave pushes in and that is going to be rain that will feel the effects of on Saturday also. So the next several days looking wet on and off 50 to 60 millimeters by the end of um, Sunday. That's the amount that we would see typically for the entire month of uh, September. And we're going to see that in just three to four days. So a significant amount considering uh, what well, all that sunshine we were seeing just last week. So there you go. Rain on and off only warming up to 18 degrees. Make sure you bundle the kids up. There's the spotty rain that we'll see across the south coast and then a little bit heavier towards the end of the day. Whereas the north coast you'll feel the effects of that through much of the day. Across the south, the southeastern sections that's a chance of showers in the morning before it pushes out it's these areas we'll see the increasing cloud and rain later in the day whereas the okanagan valley are right in between so rain on and off for the south coast tomorrow highs of only 18 degrees for the next two days look at sunday though 15 degrees. Yes, we're plunging into fall, everyone. Looks like next week will be a little bit drier, though, so a little bit to look forward to. This was the sunrise just before the rain pushes in. Nice capture, nice shot. Uh, Michael Weber said that it was pink for just a few moments. Mm, beautiful. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Just before the forecast, we showed you a picture that looked a lot like a shot of Brian Cranston as Walter White in the hit show Breaking Bad, except... It wasn't, and that's what has the internet going crazy. It started when police in Galesburg, Illinois, posted pictures of suspects wanted on arrest warrants. 
The guy at the bottom left immediately got everyone's attention. It's a mugshot of 50-year-old Todd Barrick, who's wanted for violating his parole in connection with, of all things, possession of meth. His resemblance to the character Walter White from Breaking Bad isn't lost on anyone, and the mugshot, of course, has gone viral. It hasn't helped police yet, though. Barrick is still on the loose. <laughs> life imitating art. Mm -hmm. Art imitating life. Amazing. No one ever looks good in a mugshot. You know no. That? It's just not a good look, a mugshot. No. Yeah. You want to avoid those if you can. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. You do want to avoid those. All right, Squire's here with a look ahead of sports. All right. Remember Nick Nolte's mugshot? Oh. Oh, that was tragic. Hot mess. It looked like he'd put his finger in a light socket. Global and WestJet Vacations are giving you the chance to win an island escape to Maui WestJet Vacation Package for two, including a private concert with Canadian country music stars High Valley. Today's code word is Kanapali. Enter now. Nice place if you ever get there. Uh-huh. All right, here's uh, Squire with uh, more from Canucks Camp. Oh, yes. Well, Canucks Camp actually officially starts tomorrow. Uh -huh. Today was Canucks pre-camp preview, something like that. Makes sense. Uh, before the Vancouver Canucks got on the ferry for training camp in Victoria, they once again had to talk about the guy who missed the boat. Uh, Brock Besser is not here, and until he gets a new contract, he's not going to be here. The Canucks and his agent, Ben Hankinson, have been talking. Now, it's not like negotiations have broken down. They are on the phone to each other, but no deal yet. And since... We all know Besser is a first-line sniper, and the Canucks need him to make this wanted run at the playoffs. The fact he is not here for the start of camp is a bit of an issue. I think it's important that he's at camp. Like it's, um, <clears throat> we got a lot of new players this year. Um, the first three days of camp, I think, are very important. Uh, you know, with Travis is is with the the system work that he's going to, um, you know do with the team, the power play, they practice a power play. So, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, but we'll see. I'll talk to Ben Hagenson later and see if, you know, we can get somewhere. I want our players to do well. Oh, I want them to make as much money as they can make. Um, but I also want them in camp. And, you know, we miss Brock. I want him here. Uh, much like Jim said, I think training camp is really important to, uh, you know, your team. Uh, as individuals, it's also important. Okay, I'm going to attempt to find a silver lining in the dark cloud that has sat over the BC Lions all season. In seven of their ten losses, the Lions have actually led in time of possession, meaning they've had the football longer, but they haven't done enough with it. They've had lots of chances, lots of chances to score. It's kind of like telling a great joke, but forgetting the punchline. August 24th, they lost only 13-10 to Hamilton. In their last game, 21-16 to Montreal. We played really well other than a five-minute stretch that, that was really bad and, uh, and, and turned the game on its head. This last game was, was not the same, same result. Um, but, you know, we, we played consistently well. We didn't have a stretch where we played really bad, but we also didn't have a stretch where we made explosion plays. Um, you know, so in, in the other games, we had some explosion plays. We also let them have a lot of explosions. So, um, you know, we got to combine those two. We've got to play consistently well, and then on top of that, have the plays here or there that, uh, that are game changers for the positive. This is a busy weekend for sports mm -hmm. around here. Canucks training camp, Victoria, UFC 
is at uh, Rogers Arena on Saturday. Lions against Ottawa tomorrow at BC Place. Jonathan Jennings will be in that game for Ottawa. And then the Whitecaps in Houston on Saturday. This is the first game of September for the Whitecaps, who actually had a pretty good August. They won two games. That's not much, but they didn't win any MLS games in June or July. Houston is another team going through a bummer summer. So maybe this is a game Vancouver can actually win. We just want to desperately get a win, you know. I think we, I think everyone needs it uh, at the club, the players, the staff, the fans. Everyone, everyone wants three points. Um, regardless, of, you know, there's nothing to play for. There's always pride on the line, and and I think it's yeah, we definitely need to step up. A report in the New York Times says 2018 Triple Crown winner Justify failed a drug test in California about a month before the Kentucky Derby and alleged that the California Racing Board didn't really do anything about it. Justifies trainer Bob Baffert denies he gave his horse any illegal drugs. One thing I can say, you can't blame the horse. If Justify could talk, he would say he never knowingly took performance-enhancing drugs, and he'd be right. But what about his handlers? Well, this is what the story is on that. He's just Last June, Justify became only the 13th horse to take home the Triple Crown. Trainer Bob Baffert. You know, he showed me that brilliance, superior horse. But a New York Times report says Justify failed a drug test that should have disqualified him weeks before the Kentucky Derby. Justify has won the Kentucky Derby! The first leg of the Triple Crown. According to the report, the banned drug was scopolamine, which is normally used to treat nausea and muscle spasms in humans. The report went on to say that the California Horse Racing Board kept the test results secret, and they took more than a month to confirm the results. But Dr. Mary Scolet, who is the executive director for a horse racing testing consortium, says it is unlikely that any trainer would willingly give their horse scopolamine because of its negative side effects. I don't believe that there would be a reason to administer it to a horse. I think the possibility of adverse events is much greater than any potential for beneficial events. Baffert's attorney is Craig Robertson III. There was no intentional administration by Mr. Baffert. Um, in addition, the, to support that, we're, we're talking about minuscule levels of the substance. The medical director of the California Horse Racing Board said the test results were thrown out because the sample was contaminated by Jimson weed which naturally occurs in feed given to horses. Watch that Jimson weed. <laughs> exactly. If you're taking a drug test, you don't want that Jimson weed. No, you don't. Coming up on ET Canada, our TIFF coverage continues with Natalie Portman and Charlie Hunnam. Plus, bachelors no more. Kevin Wendt and Astrid Locke share their engagement news. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. Thank you, Sangita. All right, we're getting a new close-up look tonight at the rebuilding of the Sea to Sky gondola in Squamish. It's been just over a month since someone cut the main cable and sent dozens of cars crashing to the ground. The good news is the repairs are ahead of schedule. Jordan Armstrong reports. The criminal cable cut likely took mere minutes, but the cleanup has taken weeks. After careful planning, all of the cabins have been hoisted off the mountain and the haul rope stabilized ahead of schedule. Those days were heartbreaking days for us, you know, watching cabins land in the parking lot instead of, you know, spinning on the line. A new cable should arrive from Europe next month. 
Replacement cabins will take a bit longer. Even though some survived, it's been decided all will be replaced. More from a consumer confidence perspective than anything else, perhaps. The lift isn't spinning, but more than 70 employees here are still working. The base coffee shop has reopened, welcoming locals like Doug Brubaker, who is probably the gondola's biggest fan. Okay, Doug, how many times have you ridden the gondola? 1,317. The retiree bought a season's pass for the scenery, but says it's the people who've kept him coming back. There's something about this place. It's a family. It's an adventure. It's a location. I'm not the only one. This hit everybody hard. Squamish is an incredibly amazing place. The community support around us uh, and the team, the, the, the people that work here has been truly overwhelming. Squamish RCMP have said little about the criminal investigation and Thursday had no update. If repairs continue to go well, the gondola could resume operations by early spring. You can probably guess who will be there opening day. Well, I hope I'm first in line. Jordan Armstrong, Global News, Squamish. No doubt he's going to get the first ride up there. Okay, let's hope the weather clears for him and you get that beautiful view of House Sound from up there by then. Not in the short term, though, yeah, right? Yeah, and maybe next week. Uh, so we are expecting waves of rainfall. Uh, tomorrow, it will be more like showers. That's what we say for rain on and off. And it mm -hmm. could be more intense at times, could be lighter at times. 18 degrees as our high. I think more consistent rain is expected on Saturday. And then Sunday, I'm hoping for a dry afternoon, believe it or not. Almost turtleneck weather, hey, at 15. <laughs> never sure. turtleneck weather for Christy, just so you know. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Have a good night. We'll see you back for here men. tomorrow. <laughs> for men.